Welcome to Tech Mobility Topics. If you're just joining us, this is the Tech Mobility Show. The Mississippi River. What the Colorado River is to crop irrigation and drinking water, the Mississippi is for barge traffic of raw materials, primarily grain. It is a fact that it's America's main water highway through the very center of our country. And this is topic B. And unfortunately, what ails the Colorado is also impacting the Mississippi. And yeah, let me start by saying the obvious. We did get a slug of rain here lately. Unfortunately, we're in such a drought that that barely made a dent in what was going, what's going on. Essentially, it's so dry out here that much like what was going on in the Colorado, any rain that's falling is getting sucked up by the dry ground long before it gets to the river. And as a result, there's a problem. Let me give you some numbers because I always like to give you the numbers to keep things in perspective. And I saw this number and I want to share this number with you. Try this on for size. And this is Mississippi River. Well, it's the Mississippi and all inland rivers, but pretty much the Mississippi. About 500 million tons of goods worth $158 billion are transported on inland U.S. waterways each year. And these vessels, these barges, are more fuel efficient than trucks or even trains. One barge can one barge can carry the load of 70 fully loaded semi-trucks. We're in America's breadbasket. That means soybeans, corn, other grains. Most of the soybeans that are grown in the upper Midwest are exported through the Gulf of Mexico. There is really only one efficient way to get them there, and that's by barge on the Mississippi River. Keep the Mississippi River navigatable is in the hands of the U.S. Army Corps of Engineers. And if you want to spark a fight between the governors of the 10 states in which the Mississippi flow through and, and, and the government, you throw the Army Corps in the mix. Because the Army Corps alone is the sole uh, custodian of making sure that the barges can travel. They have at any given time 12 to 18 dredges designed to keep the Mississippi deep enough so barge traffic can continue. What's going on now that it's so dry that some of these barges are actually running aground and in parts of the Mississippi, they can't even travel. Now, we talked about the Mississippi before. So if you remember our previous conversation, you remember that the Mississippi basically has three different divisions. It's got the middle division. It's got the northern division. It's got the southern division. And most of the problems, honestly, are happening in the middle, which is, you know, where Iowa is towards the top of that middle. St. Louis is kind of the center. And then the southern end. One of the things that you would not think about that I throw out there, because some towns do get their water from the Mississippi, just like folks get it from the Colorado for drinking water. Now, the problem is when you are in drought like we are now, how do you keep the salt water from the Gulf of Mexico flowing into the Mississippi and fouling drinking water plants all over the place? Army Corps of Engineers calls it building a sill. And this sill is designed to do just that. Keep ocean water out of the Mississippi and protect the fresh water. 
Now, it's built an underwater structure. They call it a sill in Louisiana, where some communities, including New Orleans, draw drinking water from Mississippi. And the Corp has previously built sills last year, 10 years before that, 10 years before that, and 10 years before that. Let me let that sink in a minute. Every 10 years. However, this year, they built one in 2022. They built one again this year. It's a first. Because prior to that, it was 2012, 1999, and 1988. But yet, in two years, they've built them again. So what's this cost? Because you know I'm going to tell you what the cost is. There is a cost. Low water levels on the Mississippi River last fall contributed to $20 billion in economic losses, according to an AccuWeather estimate. Some barges, as I mentioned earlier, got stranded in sandbars. Others lightened their loads to keep from sitting too low in the water, which increased transportation costs for farmers and others. Does that sound familiar? If you're a regular listener to the show, you might remember the same thing was going on in the Panama Canal with ships trying to get through the locks. That the waters were so low, they lightened the load. The difference is, in Panama, you've got a railroad, the Panama Canal Railroad, that runs next to the canal. So they would lighten the load with the railroad's business being up 20% because of it, which was great for the railroad, not so great if you're a shipper. In the case of Mississippi, you don't have that convenience. You're running thousands of miles, not a couple hundred. And depending on where you load, you might be loading in Iowa, you might be loading in southern Minnesota, and you're trying to get to the Gulf of Mexico, hundreds of miles away, hundreds, plural, through all the parts of 10 states and all the rivers that flow into the Mississippi. And you're going to risk trying to get it there and get it there timely. So what do you do? Farmers that are within a few hundred miles of the river, particularly up here in Iowa, will probably ship their grain, truck it to the river themselves, load, get it loaded, and ship it downriver until they can't. The water's too low, then they got to sit on it and they got to look at other ways that they can get it, maybe flood the local market. Well, if you flood the local market, guess what? It depresses the price of the grain that they got in storage. And it kind of held hostage because this is grain they've got either in an elevator in common hold or on their property where they're still holding it. And they got to clear that because next crop, they got to put it somewhere. And then there's the issue of keeping it dry and not letting the moisture content get too high where it may spoil or rot. So there's a whole bunch of things going on in terms of the transport to get it there in a salvageable condition where it can be sold, where it can be used, and where it's still retaining its economic value. I don't know how many days it takes a barge to get from a grain loading facility in Iowa to the Gulf of Mexico to a waiting ship. I don't know if it's a week, two weeks, however it is. But any time there's low water, that adds to time. And if the barge operator has to lighten the load, higher cost, less income for the farmer. Because now, instead of maybe shipping 100 tons of soybeans, he can ship 80 tons. What's he going to do with the other 20? And on and on and on it goes. The Army Corps of Engineers has been dredging 12 to 18 hours a day to keep it open. And they said, at one point in the last couple of years, there were more ships waiting off the Gulf and East Coast for goods from the Mississippi 
than there were container ships idling off of Long Beach. I was in Long Beach right after that strike. I was out there. I was in Saguna Beach. I counted off the coast of Saguna Beach no less than eight container ships in my eyesight waiting to get into Long Beach. That was then. And that was the only ones I could count. And that was eight of 55. I can't even imagine how many boats were waiting. And again, added cost, both for the ships that are waiting to get the goods, the barges that can't get down the river, the inavailability of those barges because they're filled and can't move, waiting on grain that needs to be shipped, and on and on it goes. Another victim of climate change. If the waters ain't high enough, they can't use the river. They can't use the river. They can't transport the goods. If they can't transport the goods, it's problems all the way around. For the people who want to use the product, people's growing the product. We are the Tech Mobility Show. Did you know that you could still listen to past shows of Roadworthy Drive? Kent Chester here. With the change to the Tech Mobility Show, we've taken steps to maintain our vast library of past shows for your listening pleasure. Whether you want to listen to 1, 10, or 50 of our 1,000 shows, we got you covered. Be sure to visit roadworthydrive.buzzsprout.com or roadworthydrivemoment.buzzsprout.com and subscribe. There's no recurring commitment and you can opt out at any time. We set the price super low so that access to the shows is easy and carefree. Thank you so much for your support. Real facts, real opinions, real talk. Roadworthy Drive is now the Tech Mobility Show. I'm Ken Chester, your host. Every week, I delve into the current trends and topics that impact you when it comes to mobility and technology. Things are changing fast, and I cover these topics in a way that's easy to understand. By tuning into the Tech Mobility Show, you can keep informed about the latest happenings with self-driving vehicles, auto finance, electric airplanes, and more. That's the Tech Mobility Show, heard each week on this very fine radio station. These days, everybody wants to be social, and we're no exception. Hi, I'm Ken Chester, host of the Tech Mobility Show. We get to share additional content that you won't find on the show. Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and even TikTok. Yeah, we're there. You can find us at Tech Mobility Pod on Twitter and at the Tech Mobility Show everywhere else. Check us out and be sure to follow us. Believe it or not, the Tech Mobility Show has a website. Yep. Combined with all the other ways you can interact with us, our website is a great place to start. Learn more about the host, find us in the news, and even check out where you can hear our programs across the country on the radio. I know, right? Our website is a great place to learn more about us and our programming. Go to techmobility.show for more information. 